So here we are again. I want to do another podcast here. I put it off for a few days, a week. I had one planned here to do last week. And, you know, I, I turn on the news that night and I was going to broadcast it and I just saw this horrific thing repeated twice with these shootings. And I, I couldn't do it. Uh, I couldn't release uh, my podcast. It really touched me deeply. And, you know, we've become, as a country, so desensitized to all of this. It's became normal for us now. Kind of expected, you know, it's, it's not anybody we know. Uh, it's not anybody that uh, we feel kinship to. It's always some other town, some other place. Now, I want to tell you something. And I mean this. Uh, when 9-11 happened, Shanksville, Pennsylvania was probably the last place on earth I thought something like that would happen. There wasn't much that went on in Shanksville in the past 150 years. Unless you were throwing darts in a map, you might hit Shanksville. So the aspect that it can't happen around you, can't happen to people you know, anything like that, it just isn't real. It can happen anywhere to anybody. When I read the stories of these people... Uh, the one I think that touched me the most was this mother and father with a baby. And they uh, they shielded it with their bodies. And they both unfortunately passed away. Because this gunman decided to kill a bunch of people because of what race they were. Because they looked Mexican, you know. And I'm not I'm not trying to take any kind of stance on guns or anything. You know, I'm I'm a gun hunter and have been. I come from a family of hunters. I'm a responsible gun hunter. I wouldn't need a weapon like that. Coming from hunters, you know, my grandfather would take two bullets with him in the woods. And he'd say, you know, if you can't shoot a deer with one bullet, you shouldn't even be in the woods. <coughs> Excuse me. And nowadays, it's like everybody has this idea that you want to have as many rounds and this doomsday scenario. You know, it's fine. Let's find it. People have that view. I don't have it. Um, I'm sure the zombie apocalypse bullshit 
uh, might be prevalent in some people's minds, but it's not in mine. You know, it's all the right to do what you want to do until it effect, affects the lives of other people. So every you have to look at the rights of the people that died. And, you know, as a gun owner, there's so much rhetoric on both sides that you see that you want responsible gun ownership. And I think every gun owner, every person that's not a gun owner, can agree on that. There should be background checks, and there should be responsible way that if you have a concealed carry, you can take it to any state federally. But it's not going to be done, and it's not going to be processed in a way that people can have this and find a medium equal ground and uh, you know for all you people that are big on a constitution I am realize that um, the Revolutionary War was fought in 1776 and it wasn't until the 1790s that we had the Second Amendment so you have to take all that into account no, I'm not putting gun people down. Okay, there's, for every one mass shooting, there's about 99.9% of the people that are good law-abiding people. Just, you know what, though? It makes it really bad on everybody that's law-abiding when this goes on. So, something's got to be done. I think a little baby growing up without his parents... All because this person that wasn't crazy but had motives. And damn, you know, to, to want to do that to somebody. Just because their race, their color, where they come from. It's, it's something that people don't understand the consequences of. Whenever you pull that trigger, you, you can't take that bullet back. So I, I really want to ask everybody. I've taken almost seven minutes here. It took me a while to think about this, how I could actually talk about this without being controversial. I don't want to make anybody upset. I don't care what your stance is on it, but... Do do yourself a favor. Be more careful out there and uh, push for responsible background checks, whatever it takes. I'm not I'm not going to take a stance on anything. But right now, there's a lot of people hurt, a lot of people dead, a lot of little kids growing up without families, fathers without their kids. And, you know, I want to urge everybody to take a little bit of money and donate it to that cause of the people that have been through this horrible thing. So that's that's my main thought there. And for a couple of days, I was sitting here on this, and it was just so sad. I didn't really even want to write anything. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to make any kind of public announcement on it that how I felt. But 
What a needless loss of life. And it happens so often. It happens so often. Now they're going to say that it's this or it's that. I don't know what the solution is. You know, I'm just really... It's been bothering me. But, but here's, here's the thing. Okay. I wanted to do a, a, a podcast here about something positive, not something down. That's really got me down, but I'm going to say something positive here. I have a new book coming out. New book. Let's see here. Laurel Hannah's song. And I've had a lot of things going on in my life as well this year that have kind of slowed me down a bit. Um, <laughs> the the Bartlett brothers and my one friend that uh, I used to work with has been really pushing to get me out and, uh, and just, just feel more alive. So... I uh, got to see some good music this year, and I believe it was Adam said to me, he says, you know, are you going to be releasing a book anytime soon? You know, you've been working on this one. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, you know, it, it's, it's strange that the book Valerie, I consider that my best book. And I want to take some time in this podcast to talk about myself, not to self-promote. You know, you can buy my book or you can't. You know, it doesn't, doesn't, uh, I'm not writing it to make money. I sure don't make a lot of money doing that. But I enjoy the process. I enjoy the creative process. And when I wrote the book, Valerie, I was telling Adam, I said, I think I wrote it in three months. And I said, I just... I went from finding out that she was really like one of the true loves of my life. I mean, I'll put her above anybody. And I was just looking today at some of the things she had written. And I was really impacted by it because this is somebody I'm never going to speak to again that passed away. And her kids found her. So I was telling Adam, I said, what I did then, I said, I don't think I got off the couch for a week. I said, I sat there and there were just little things would hit me. And I didn't know how to process them, these feelings. And I decided to go and climb Stunning Man. I read her name on the gravel. And there was this thing that uh, my birthday, I was, it was Publishers Clearinghouse was supposed to go off. So Val and I had his joke going, and I said, I'm going to hit the lottery on my birthday, and I'm going to give you half. So I come down off of Stony Man, Virginia. Didn't know that the lo local winery is called Valerie Hill Winery, by the way. There's all these neat coincidences. And I, I was telling Adam, I said, you know, I came down, and I said, I kept, I played a scratch-off ticket. It was a dollar ticket. And I won a free ticket. And I, I kept... I think like five times in a row I won a free ticket. And this there's this woman here and she says, Honey, 
She says, you are lucky. And I says, not really. I didn't win anything. And then I started laughing because it was kind of just like a joke that Val would pass to me. So I really feel that presence of her being around. But I wrote that book in like three months. I told Adam, I was sitting there one day, and I just said, you know, this is not the footnote in her life. This is not, I'm not trying to say that I added or took anything more away from her life. We have our own memories and feelings, and a lot of the poems I wrote in the book, Valerie, were very much, I used a lot of metaphor, and a lot of the things were things her own life that, I wanted to talk about, and other people, even her mom read it and goes, said, you know, they're not all about her, and I said, no, no, and I said, they are, and some aren't, I said, but some of them you just wouldn't know about unless it was a personal thing between me and her, and even those poems can be appreciated by anybody, so someone might read it and be appreciated by somebody else, and I, I said this to Neil Gaiman, the few weeks ago, I said, you know, I read him a message and he said that people didn't understand uh, good omens as what he meant it to be. He was a failure as a writer. And I, I said, Neil, no, man, this is, people interpret it the way they want to. And that's, that's the thing, when you publish a book, when you publish any kind of work, when you paint a painting, it's going to be interpreted the way that the reader will interpret it on their own life experiences. So in many ways, you know, the looking at that in that way, the, the strange thing about the book Valerie was a lot of people knew her. They found a lot of those things in it themselves, and it kind of made it, like my one friend said, this, this girl Trish, Valerie, was a really good friend with as well. I had it sitting on her coffee table, and she says, I feel like you kind of gave me a piece of Valerie back. And as I was telling Adam about all this, I said, you know, that's the power of music. That's the power of writing. And I said, I wrote that book in three months because I took all my pain, all my feelings, and I just poured on it. Just, uh, I obsessed over it. I had to. I had to get out of my soul what was there. And I've written two tribute books of poetry I dedicated, one to my father, Son of a Sailor, and the other one, Valerie. And the rest I've kind of kept to a theme or, or so, and I dedicated them to different things. And that's, that's what I'm doing here. But it's taken me a lot longer because I've had a lot of things going on in my life. So this book... Um, the Lohanna song is about the Lohanna Creek. It flows through the uh, Lohanna Gorge, which is in Chestnut Ridge, Pennsylvania, in Laurel Highlands. And there's, there's I talked about in the old podcast the other week, I said there's three mountain ranges there. And when you see these, these creeks that flow through, whether it be the Yawk, uh, Connemaw. Connemaw actually goes through two of them, or Little Hannah. You just say to yourself, how could a stream cut through this? How did it start? 
how would it begin you know what what processes would do this and when uh, George Washington and Forbes came to the top of the Allegheny Plateau there because Washington had first gone through with Braddock tried a different route Washington relied heavy with Forbes on uh, the writings of uh, Christopher Gist uh, Gist was the first man to make a trail through uh, the ridge cross here for the Ohio company they had this idea they were going to make all this money and uh, Forbes saw this trail and he says hey we're gonna instead of being defeated we're gonna go every so many miles and we're gonna build a fort every so many miles and make a fort so if we're attacked defeated we just have to fall back to our supply lines so it was a really good military strategy but it all goes back to Gist when he first climbed top of the mountain him and his men built a fire and I, I, I captured that moment in what I'm writing I, I really wanted to take in this book of poetry which is different than the others my other books were written in in the process of linearly this this one's not this is a riprap of different types of poetry that's all thrown together and there's for the most part no dates written on the poems which is something I've never done before I uh, always have done that I always wrote the day on it and it was always like hey I wrote this on that date what was I thinking and it always felt like a journal to me uh, when I write something but I didn't do it here because I wanted it to get that feeling of all these different types of rocks and different types of minerals and trees and everything is thrown together that you just see I wanted to capture that sense of it where it doesn't have that linear process and uh, a dedication I will read the dedication says I first dedicate this collection of poetry in fond remembrance to the following people John Ripley Donna Millette and my uncle Dan Forney and my brother Mark Simo who have passed away recently this book is dedicated to all of those men and women who were pioneers through this valley and saw its beauty through the ages. Nioble, do not forget. That's a Scottish term of my clan, Clan Graham. I have two of them here. So I also want to dedicate this to my Scottish and Irish ancestors whose tartans are the green of this land. Clans Graham and Dunlap and all the other clans of Laurel Highlands, the Black Watch, and others who made Fort Ligonier a place kin to the history that lives in this day. And, uh, you know, my forward is like several pages long. I'll read that as well. Growing up, uh, a 10th generation Western Pennsylvanian, I've had a fond connection to the history of this area, some of which is presented in history books and taught and much of which remains throughout this land from the outstretched small historical relics to old forts to stone grave markers that are barely readable today forgotten and not spoken of all of it is a part of my family's history and I've spent a great 
time not just researching it, but also taking it in and feeling the soul of the place. The Japanese call it kemi, the soul of a place that one can reflect on for deep connection to, the heart of all the great poetic description. To the Lenape, who for thousands of years, before any white man stepped into this valley and lived with the Mingo and Shawnee, would find in their reflection to nature the solace of their days, the cycle of life and death. For them, it was a place of the Watmadukas, the nature spirits who kept the order of peace and nature balanced. To George Washington, it was a place to sit and reflect on life. As a young man and dream beyond the wilderness of the dangers before him, Forts Ligonier and Bedford are testament to the men and women who crossed uh, the mountains in 1758 in the French and Indian War to the Revolutionary War in 1776 and their values that they saw in this land. To some they saw a frontier that beyond the Lohanna Gorge seemed to stretch on forever with endless expansion others they found a home among pens of woods there was a holy forest of winding rivers that became the nexus of their beliefs in charity and brotherhood these three mountains like three brothers are a century-old trinity that combined to make the appalachian mountains a universal symbol of natural beauty it began with gist long before the expanse of people to the west and across this nation. These three mountains, the Allegheny, the Laurel, and the Chestnut Ridge Mountain, were the stage of brutal conflicts and wars over empires for expansion. Gist was the first true mountain man. On his first trip, the Ohio Company commissioned Gist to blaze a trail from Tom's Crimp's Maryland-based Old Town Settlement on October 31st, 1750 where he started out to the top of Allegheny Mountain. Looking out over, he was in awe of the place and found beauty in the spirit of the place. On Monday, November 5th, 1750, Gist and his party would be the first white men to stand on top of these mountains where they camped for three days. His journal reads, Top of large mountain called Allegheny Mountain. It was a mountain range named after the Legwe, a mountain-dwelling people of Algonquin lore. On Wednesday, November 14, 1750, he would arrive traveling west on roughly what was Chief Nemecolin's path to a small Lenape town that would later become Fort Ligonier. In right of it, in noting its importance, set out north 45, west 6 miles to Little Hannah, an old Indian town on the creek of Ohio called Kismakinicus, the Little Hanning, Middle River Place. That's the first two paragraphs. And then I go on to talk more about my own personal history here, which you can you can buy the book and read it. Um, I roughly sum up um, at least twenty years worth of my genealogical research, and that's another part of what I've done. While the names mentioned in the poems in it are of settlers, you know, my, my first ancestor that came here 
I believe it was John Markley. He's he's my tenth generation back. He's like my seventh great grandfather, and he was the first poor person to live in Somerset County. If you go to uh, Penn Alps, it's down near Maryland. It's a uh, art, uh, what they call it, uh, Artesian Village. The Markley House is his house. It's still standing, and other people I'm related to to through him are like uh, Laura Bush several other people and I've done a lot of traveling around uh, do, doing this research on different uh, cemeteries different uh, documents I've found donated to the historical societies of Bedford and Berlin PA I've uncovered some cemeteries that were lost doing research so, so for me it, it, I I grew up in a time where my grandfather knew so far back, not very far, and I did research and I did DNA tests to myself, and I'm really much, you know, just shocked at how it wasn't that long ago, you know, you grow up, you think that it's so long ago, 1776, 1750, and it's not, and you go to these people's graves, and the, I was just at, uh, Gust Miller's grave the other day and uh, saw just the amazing work on his tombstone. The slate that they used, the Bolin, uh, there were two brothers that were stone, stone cutters. They did the most fine work all over the area. You know when you see their work. Intricate as hell. You could still cut your finger on it even after this many years. When these men died, they don't have tombstones because nobody was as good as they were. But I'm standing at Yoss Miller's grave, and I'm thinking, he's like my uh, fifth or sixth great-grandfather. He fought at Brandywine. And when I did a DNA test, it, it showed that there are other people I'm related to that have that same DNA. So, once you realize you're made out of all these, like, Lego blocks, you know, whatever you want to call them, DNA, I don't know, I'll simplify it, but part of my DNA was his at Brandywine, I share it with him. So, there's, there's a deep connection to this land, and the uh, Scottish blood, the Irish blood, the German blood, and Native American are, are very much a part of this area. No, that's in my book. People uh, won't have the context of my research. But it's there. Um, you can look it up. I don't necessarily need to go on and on and on about my family history. Like if it's something special. Uh, pretty sure everybody around here in the United States in general has extremely similar, probably better stories to tell. But this book... Gives a little bit of it. I'm very content with it. And it will be coming out on my birthday, August 28th, 2019. I got the submitted last uh, proof from my publisher today. 
digitally I was looking at it. I never saw a printed copy yet, haven't seen it yet. I trust them with it. I was up in Ohio Power. I wanted to get away for a little bit today. I went up on uh, Ferncliff and I took it with me. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a peaceful day. Not realizing it's August. It's Sunday. There must have been 10,000 people there. I started walking. I didn't do the Ferncliff area. I, I was looking and I, I thought, you know, there's this old growth section that's on the opposite side because uh, the Ohio Powell is a waterfall. It's like a part of the Yarkagani River that goes around this horseshoe bend. And people do white water rafting. So I went across the, the Great Bridge, this old railroad bridge. And I sat there and I, I thought, how can I get away? Just some space and time to think about this. Look at this this proof. Take it into context and, and enjoy it. So I walked the Great Gorge Trail, which has these old growth trees. And there is nobody on it, really. There were a couple people. Nobody's that crazy to walk it. So I, I found a spot and I just started looking over it. This is a place of amazing beauty. If you, ever go, if you ever go there, there's trees that just dwarf you. I walked the whole thing back around and stopped at Cucumber Falls and took a few pictures, walked back around and left. But I was, I was blown away by it. I've never in my life walked that gorge trail to see these trees. And all these people were whitewater rafting. And it brought back, it's a different gorge, it brought back exactly what I felt writing this. Captured it all. Because where I stopped at, it was a geological spot that they tell you to stop. There's all this history and these, you'd be walking and see a rock that has a tree on it or a fish. That is a fern tree and a fish from the ocean when it was 300 million years ago or more. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I love it. So I am happy with it. It's about 360 pages. It ranges between 360 to 400 pages. Depending on which edition you get. There the, will we'll be a digital ebook as well, I'm told. I don't have as much control over that as what... I do on the paperback because in the paperback I get to actually see in physical form a proof. I like that. I like a book I can touch, man. <laughs> you know, ebooks are great, but I, I love the book that I can sit on my shelf and say, "Yeah, that's that's I can take it anywhere. I don't need to have this thing charged." It's coming out on August twenty eighth, and if you want to buy it, well, I'll be on Barnes and Noble. Just, just. Should be. I don't know how that works. Sometimes it takes a while for it to get on there. Um, the ISBN number is. Uh, let me look it up here. I have it. <laughs> I have it here somewhere. The ISBN number is nine seven eight dash zero. 
859-8479-7. So, you know, look it up. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Give me a good review, please. <laughs> I want to talk about another friend of mine at uh, Scottish Heritage here before I go. I have his distant cousin, who I've never really met. I'd message him a little bit online. You know, you're honored the guy re returns your messages. It's not like we're, like, close family. I think it's, like, again, seven generations. I've met several of these people. people. People think you're a little weird when you say, hey, it's my seventh cousin, but, but he is, you know. And uh, he passed away couple years ago Roddy Piper <laughs> Roddy uh, Roddy was a character Roddy was a good family man and Roddy Roddy was witty Roddy was smart and I knew we were related but I read his read his autobiography he'd written and I loved it. I said, this this is the best autobiography I've read in a long time. I told him that. I said, hey, Roddy, you, uh, you really have uh, paid your dues. And he, was, he was actually like, you think Roddy, you see him on t you'd see him on TV, he did the villain, you know. But he was a very humble, quiet, reserved person in real life. And, and he valued his personal space. So when he passed away, I mean, I just, Roddy Piper was like, you know, he, he was like me. He would do this research and if he knew you were his cousin, he'd call you his cousin. Oh, Roddy, man. I just think you're the best. I, I, uh, I want to say that, you know, he, you know, he's got a couple kids and his daughter is going to be debuting in, uh, I don't follow wrestling. I, I haven't done so many years, but it came up, uh. I'd followed, just just followed his kids on what they were doing because of the fact that I was really touched by them losing their father. And I, I'd lost mine, and I thought, you know, let's see what their careers are like. And, and I, his son is really a good wrestler, from what I understand. Uh, his daughter had a singing career, and I guess she's now getting into wrestling. Ariel, and she has this uh, name um, that I was looking at, and it's her middle name. So I was like, I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's going by Teal Piper now, Ariel Teal Piper. And there's, she's posted pictures of her with her dad, pictures of. Uh, some of these promo pictures she did and they're very much like her dad and it's such a cool thing because I haven't seen her in wrestling I don't know if she's as witty I don't know what her character's gonna be like but I, I want to wish her the best I want to wish, wish the best to my little cousin here Teal Piper uh, your dad would be proud of you your dad would be really proud of you
that kind of mentorship of a father that means a lot it, it takes a lot of strength to do what she's doing to overcome that and to become a wrestler and follow in her dad's shoes lace those boots up it's a different world today than when her dad started out and uh, it's tough to follow when she was like that but I'm sure she'll do well and I, I want to just wish Teal Ariel whatever you're calling yourself good luck in this I've seen so much grief in this family when they lost their father as I felt when I lost mine and uh, it's hard to get out of that so to do these career career things where she did singing her and her brother are doing the wrestling like their father did I'm inspired I'm inspired very much so by their uh, their tribute to their dad and just just the whole family the Tombs family they they're a family that they don't have I won't mention any names but there's some people in the business that You know they got money. You know they got fame. And uh, they flaunt it. But not these people. They're down to earth good people. So, uh, big shout out to you and all the props. That's what the kids are still saying today. When I was a kid, mad props, bro. <laughs> uh, hey, good luck on it. Um, and good luck on me with this book coming out because I'm going to tell you something. It's probably one of the ones that, when I started out wanting to become a writer, I always wanted to, and I got the name Laurel Highlands Poet because that's where I write from. It doesn't mean I'm the only one. Anybody, anybody that writes in Laurel Highlands is a Laurel Highlands writer. But Ligonier, and I love Ligonier. It's one of those towns where there's a lot of money. You need people to back you. I don't need that. I'm no different today. I'm born the day I die, whether you're rich or poor. It's what you say and what you put across that matters. And I hope this book does that. I'm not looking for any kind of accolades for myself. I just will let my writing do the talking. I hope it's good. <laughs> I hope it's good. I hope you enjoy it. So, okay, folks, I did this podcast and covered a lot of bases here. Thank you all for your time. Stay safe. Watch out for people that are having it rough. Show respect and love to everybody. And uh, be the best example of yourself that you'd want to be thought of. You know, ten generations ahead, ten generations before you. You want to keep all that stuff in mind, as the Indians used to say. <laughs> Thank you for your time again. And uh, check out my book, August 28th, 2019. It'll be in stores everywhere.